Welcome to the Mastering Blood Sugar Podcast. This is episode number four with Marty Kendall. My name is Dr. Brian Mole, the diabetes coach, certified and master licensed diabetes educator, and IFM certified functional medicine practitioner. Each week on the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast, I bring you an inspiring health or lifestyle expert to help you learn to boost your metabolism, lose weight, and master your blood sugar with natural drug-free strategies. Thanks for being here with me today, and let's get started. While carbs and protein raise insulin in the short term, the fat on our body and the fat in our diet have the most significant influence on our insulin levels. Those are the words of my guest today, engineer and creator of the website Optimizing Nutrition, Marty Kendall. Marty Kendall is an engineer with an interest in nutrition who seeks to understand things numerically. His wife is a type 1 diabetic and he has a family history of type 2 diabetes and obesity. He's created a system to prioritize low insulinogenic nutrient-dense foods that he and his wife Monica have been using to achieve improved blood sugar control, increased energy, and reduced depression and anxiety that so often comes with blood sugar dysregulation. Marty says he's been able to step up to a new level of vitality, reach his ideal weight, and reverse his pre-diabetes. He says, for me, this is personal. I'm passionate. I hope that our journey can help to shortcut your path to optimal health. His approach builds on low-carb, high-fat, paleo, and ketogenic frameworks to minimize the negative effects of excess insulin while maximizing nutrition through eating real, luxurious, and delicious foods. And you can find out more about Marty over at OptimizingNutrition.com. In today's episode, Marty talks about how he uses his engineering background to understand and optimize blood sugar health, how his wife has type 1 diabetes, and how he made it a mission to learn more to be able to help her. He discovered the insulin index, what it is, why it's important, and how Marty uses it to create a formula to determine the insulin load of foods. He re-examines the idea of nutrient density to understand which foods we should eat and which ones we should avoid. Marty discusses the personal fat threshold and how it relates to insulin resistance, diabetes, and blood sugar dysregulation. We talk all about calories, how they fit in, and how overeating, even the right foods, can still prevent you from burning fat and losing weight. Marty shares how to minimize cravings by improving insulin and leptin signaling and increasing the nutrient density of the foods you eat. And he talks all about why avoiding protein is usually a mistake for people with diabetes and blood sugar problems. Before we get started with our episode today, I want to remind you to head over to iTunes now, subscribe to the podcast, and leave a review for us. Soon I'm going to start reading some of our listener reviews, and if I read your review on the podcast, we're going to send you a special gift, which is a flash drive containing the very best of the Diabetes Summit. So if you would be so kind, head over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review. I'd love for you to do that. 
All right, I'm excited to bring you engineer Marty Kendall. This one is all about reducing the insulin load and improving the nutrient density of our diet. All right, Marty, so uh, great to be with you here today. Hey, Brian, absolute pleasure. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, uh, met you, uh, as you remember, out at Low Carb Breck this year, which is a great yeah. conference and made a lot of great connections out there. And mm. I love that conference because it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of no fluff, a lot of science, uh, good old school presentations, mm. and then lots of time to really put our minds together and, and talk about things like diabetes and obesity and low carb diets. Mm. And, uh, and all these problems that we're trying to solve. So great to meet you out there. Yeah, no, Jeff and uh, Rod are great guys. So yeah, they're, they're fantastic to hang out with. They do a great conference. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So uh, I would love to ask you uh, how you got into this line of work, sort of what your background is and if you have a personal story and, and kind of how you started down this path. Yeah, well, um. Came across diabetes. I, I married my wife Monica about eighteen years ago, and uh, well, I met her about eighteen years ago, and uh, she's got type one diabetes. And I suppose it then started the ball rolling from there, uh, going the, the adventure. And then she was, you know, standing following standard type of advice. And then we uh, went and started to think about having children, and we found a really good GP who had some really good techniques about managing it. I got completely fascinated in it at that point and then going through pregnancies and risks of pregnancies and trying to manage diabetes and the changes in insulin resistance through pregnancies. And by day, I'm an engineer, so I applied my engineering systematized sort of mind to this problem of diabetes and trying to keep her blood sugars at whatever optimum was meant to be and just continually changing the dose with that, I suppose, that fear in my head of, uh, you know, we, we've got to manage this pregnancies because of the risks, et cetera, et cetera. So I was quite motivated back then, um, but it wasn't until maybe five years ago or so until, uh, you know, I found Rob Wolf and then I found the low-carb down under guys and then I stumbled across type 1 grit and, um, you know, I fell into a rabbit hole of fascination there and, uh, and then maybe, what, three years ago now, I, I stumbled across the idea of the insulin index. Some testing was done a while ago in 1987, which was on 25 foods, which was completely confusing uh, to understand our insulin response to food. And then maybe three years ago, a thesis came out from the University of Sydney that quantified about 100 different foods and their insulin response and glucose response. And I thought, well, maybe if we could crunch this data a little better, we can find how I can better manage Monica's diabetes, um, uh, particularly her insulin requirements to manage not just carbohydrates but also fibre and also protein. So I started crunching the numbers and found a, a fairly interesting relationship between carbohydrates minus fibre plus about half the protein predicts the short-term insulin response to food. So that's really exciting for type 1s because it enables you to accurately predict the insulin demand that you have to uh, dose. And then yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose for uh, type 2s and the like, it helps you to prioritize foods um, that enables you to rank 
your choices of foods to have the lowest insulin response. So if your, your pancreas isn't keeping up, it's a, it's a really good idea. So yeah, and then I started blog and started blogging about that. Just met a lot of amazing people online and through social media. And it's just been a passion and, and applying my engineering approach to, um, to nutrition and diabetes has been just a fascinating journey over the last three years. So yeah, that, that, yeah that's, that's where it started. And, yeah. <laughs> Engineers oftentimes, uh, bring a lot of the best concepts to diabetes. Yeah. It seems it's just like a new angle, is, I think. Yeah, it is. It's a system problem. It's not, let's look for correlations or, you know, population analysis. Well, it's like, okay, what, I'd love to talk what, more what about the levers yeah. that move. Yeah. Yeah. The le- yeah. Right. What are the levers that, that yeah. make the biggest difference to move? Definitely. Uh, Definitely. And, you know, you talked about your wife with type one mm. and incredible value there with being able to, figure out insulin dosing because that's a that's a constant problem especially for people who are trying to follow the standard you know conventional diet which I know obviously you don't recommend for good reasons but um, but you know that it, trying to dose you know a bolus insulin in those situations becomes uh, nearly impossible but um, I think you know one of the things when I saw you speak and I, I stumbled upon this concept that you created and formula, one yeah. of the things that got me so excited about it was uh, an extension of kind of how you started to think about it. Because I, I yeah. remember that insulin index study yeah. uh, years ago and it was, it, it left you wanting more and then more didn't come <laughs> for many, many years after that. And when it did come, it was sort of, uh, you know, still an incomplete list and it, it, it yeah. left you wondering, uh, you know, how can we use this? And, mm. uh, you know, why isn't this getting more play in the diabetes mm. community? Because totally. It's such an important concept. So totally. um, yeah, if we could back up a little bit just for the people sure. who uh, maybe don't quite understand the connection between, uh, you know, looking at the insulin response of foods, yep. why that's important for somebody with not only uh, type one or type two diabetes, but somebody who has prediabetes or even mm. is just battling uh, some overweight uh, that could be related to to metabolic health and mm. insulin. So uh, maybe just talk a little bit about what insulin does and wow. sort of how that relates to our metabolic health and, and weight, and then diabetes. Yeah, no, that, that that that's a fascinating question, all in in a, in itself. So I, I suppose I've been looking at this a little bit more recently of, of what ac- insulin actually does, and um, you know, for for a type one diabetic, they have to inject for food, and it's just a daily thing they have to live with. And when their blood sugars go high, they inject insulin to bring their blood sugars down, and when they eat carbohydrates, they inject insulin. But there's also a a basal insulin that they take over all the day. So um, I was just preparing a blog post that I'm going to put out later today that when uh, when we first started tracking it all, Moni was taking about 50 units of insulin a day and about half of that was for her food and about half was basal. These days she's on about 25 units of insulin a day but about five is for her food and about 20 is basal. So what, what the, the paradigm shift I'm, in, I'm sort of getting my head around is that um, – Usually we think of insulin as helping glucose and nutrients get into the cells, but at the same time, uh, that, that, that would be a sort of a, an anabolic growth sort of hormone, but at the same time, it's also an anti-catabolic hormone, which means that basically helps, ensures your body doesn't fall apart. So in type 1 diabetes, basically 
the body because it's got no insulin just allows all the energy in the fat and the protein and, and the glucose stores just to basically leach into the blood. They get really high glucose, ketones and fatty acids and end up disintegrating just about because they don't have this insulin. But um, it's really that basal insulin that holds the energy in the system to, to make sure your body doesn't fall apart, which is a good thing because we want to build our muscles and we want to don't want our brains to disintegrate, but um, a lot of us who are a little bit bigger than we want to be, uh, you know, don't like insulin because it, it holds too much fat in. So that's the paradigm. And I suppose that, that that's the thing I'm coming to understand, that the insulin index does a really nice job of predicting the short-term insulin response to our food, that, I, that, that the insulin index measured the area under the curve response to insulin to various foods over about three hours. But then you've also got to consider that basal insulin that holds energy in our body. And it's that, you know, you're inferring before weight, etc. If we're able to manage the short-term response to insulin, we're able to stabilize our blood sugars, which is really good. And it helps us with appetite and uh, stabilizing that. If, if our blood sugar is going up and down and up and down all the time, we're driven to eat because, you know, our blood sugar has dropped and we want food. But then at the same time, um, you've really got to look at the total energy value of our food because that's what really drives the basal insulin, which keeps us a little bit bigger than we want to be a lot of the time. So in the end, I'm realizing it's about calories in the big picture, but in the short term, it really helps to manage that short-term response to insulin. So, yeah, no, that, that, that's the, the short story and uh, yeah, uh, definitely a fascinating topic. Yeah, it can be it can be confusing for a lot of people. Hopefully, <laughs> I haven't confused too much there. But yeah, so, people just yeah. want to know, uh, you know, what to do and is insulin good or bad? And of course, yeah. it's not an easy answer. It's right? both. Insulin is both exactly. Yeah, so we need yeah, it for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, anybody with type one knows that very clearly. Totally. Totally. Because you're right. It's it's uh, without it, our body just disintegrates and. Mm. Um, you know, insulin is suppresses, you know, uh, basically the breakdown of, of, mm. uh, of our stores um, mm. so that we don't break down and, and we need mm. that. But at mm. the same time, when we're resistant to insulin, mm. um, it can be a problem. That's mm. you know, what totally. type 2 diabetes is. And then when we have high, high insulin levels, of course, that uh, all those anabolic effects kick in. So we get the uh, the growth of new fat cells, and mm. uh, we just start becoming, as you said, bigger than we want to mm. be. And mm. and, um, and I know you've—I uh, uh, don't know if you you ever met with Doctor Crap, but I know you've looked at his book no, and, no. and studied some yeah. of his work and and watched maybe a video or two with him. And, fascinating area, uh, fascinating area. And he, you know, he's uh, he really talked about some of the damaging effects of elevated insulin levels, mm. which I I think is eye opening because a lot of people look at uh, inflammation, cardiovascular, and kidney problems as just all mm. about this high blood sugar. But, but uh, as he sort of um, brought some light on, it, high insulin, hyperinsulinemia can be mm. problematic also. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Um, I suppose on that, but, and that's another thing I'm digging into, is the personal fat threshold. I don't know whether you've... Mm. Um, that, that yeah, can you talk about what that is? I, I uh, yeah. saw that in one of your articles. Uh, yeah. It's from Roy Taylor, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Um, Roy Taylor did some really fascinating work and, and people will often go, well, why, why are some people who are still skinny quite 
fat. Uh, that they get diabetes, but some people can get quite fat before they get diabetes. It seems that there's this personal fat threshold. And, um, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, if you're a Maori or a, or an Indian or, or, or an Australian Aborigine or something that needed to go a long time without food, go across a long voyage to be able to store fat was probably a real advantage to survive. And, uh, so to be able to build up your fat stores, really easily was a good thing. So that, that, that sort of insulin sensitivity in a way that your adipose tissue, your body fat stores are able to store all this energy and get quite big before they actually, the adipose stores say, no more, I can't hold anymore. And that's the personal fat threshold. And at that point, all that excess energy starts to flow into your bloodstream as diabetes that we see. And then around our visceral, around our organs, our, our abdominal fat, um, and our liver and kidney and brain and heart all get fatty and it's basically the genesis of all Western disease. But at the same time, you can get some people who are still quite lean who get to that personal fat threshold that just happens for them to be a much lower level of body fat. So um, I suppose that, that, that that's where to think of insulin as that it, it's the anti-catabolic, it's the break, it's the dam that holds back your fat stores. And once your energy in your body fills to a point where you get to that personal fat threshold, all that excess energy then flows out into your bloodstream and the places where you don't want it to be. So rather than just thinking, oh, I'm getting insulin resistant because I've got too much insulin, it's really I'm getting insulin resistant because my fat stores can't hold anymore. I've reached my personal fat threshold and, and exceeded that. And then as you talk about the way to actually reverse that is to start to release some of your fat out of fat stores. And as T Taylor showed, at that point, you get a, a reversal of insulin resistance very, very, very quickly, even with only a little bit of weight loss. But it's that reversal of that pressure on your, on your fat stores that helps you to reverse um, diabetes very, very quickly. Yeah, and, and not so much the subcutaneous fat, but that visceral mm. fat, the organ fat, right? That's what mm. Dr. Taylor talks about with those MRI studies. Definitely. Burning that fat packed around the liver and pancreas. And that's, mm. uh, so that's the trick, you know, it's, it's mm. how, do we, how do we get the body to burn that fat? Because yeah. I think there's pretty clear agreement <laughs> that, uh, you know, fat packed around the organs is going to make us mm. resistant. Um, maybe that might not be the original, uh, you know, cause or genesis of all insulin resistance, um, mm. you know, the things that drive inflammation and so forth. Mm. But, but certainly once we get that fat around those organs, we're on our way to diabetes and type two diabetes. So if we can totally, yeah. So if we can find out how to burn that fat, uh, I think, <laughs> as you said, it can really help people reverse that. So, um, in your experience and research, how can people do that? What's the best way to, to, you know, get in and, and get rid of some yeah. of that fat. And and that's the fascinating question. And I suppose social media is such a fascinating online laboratory where you see so many opinions and this thing works for me and this thing works for me and carnivore and plant-based and their antithesis. A lot of them, it's like well, you, both of you groups are 10,000 members and very much the same level of passion and zeal and conviction that this solution worked for me. Um, yeah, so that, that leaves me as an engineer going, what are the common denominators? What are the common factors there? And what, what I do see is that, like I said before, once you stabilize your blood sugars with that lower insulin load, which is largely just re reducing refined carbohydrates, 
people are able to get control of their appetite again. They're able to control their, their energy intake and they suddenly go, oh, I'm magically losing weight. But, you know, they're, they've removed hyperpalatable foods. They might be eating a bit more protein, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that often works really well for people. But, but then at the same time, if they then go, well, I can hack this and I can throw a lot of extra refined fat in, I can do my fat bombs, my bulletproof coffee or whatever, and fat, dietary fat is a free food pretty much. That doesn't always end up leading them to optimal weight in the long term. I suppose what I see there is that once you've stabilized your blood sugars, then you need to start focusing rather than on more fat and less carbs. It's like, how can I improve my food quality? How can I improve my nutrient density? And that's the next phase of my little systematized approach to say, well, what is nutrient density? What is good nutrition? How, do, how can we all quantify that in a way we agree? And that's Let me where... ask you a question before we go there, because I, I do want to talk <laughs> about that. But So I think what I just heard you say is that uh, different eating approaches can work for different people, but the it seems like sort of the bottom line, the golden thread is that you need to find a way to eat that's satisfying that mm. makes you feel, and again, this will lead into nutrient density in foods, but makes mm -hmm. us feel uh, like we can, we feel satisfied in with less food or at least mm -hmm. less um, calories, if you will, or, mm -hmm. or energy coming in so that we can get into uh, somewhat of a negative energy, you know, negative caloric yeah. state where we're yeah. actually able to burn more energy than we're consuming. Um, and of course, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people out there uh, who are very passionate in whatever dietary philosophy they're following, which will make the statement that calories really don't matter. As long as you mm. eat the right foods, you can eat as much as you want. I happen to disagree with that for <laughs> people with diabetes and weight problems, yeah. but, uh, but is, is that kind of what you're saying is that, uh, at some point, no matter which uh, eating strategy we follow, at some point we've got to be consuming less than we're burning from an energy state so that we can we can burn the fat that's stored in, in our organs? Yeah, um, the, the, the simple answer is yes, but then the more complex answer uh, issue is, you know, what drives appetite because appetite always wow. wins no matter how much I track on my phone, no matter how much I go, well, I'm going to weigh all my food. Eventually, it's just because I'm just so hungry, I need to eat. And, you know, you might fast for three days, but then all of a sudden you find yourself with the cream and the peanut butter and a tablespoon in the corner by yourself just going, I'm so hungry, I deserve this. And, <laughs> so that's know, when, like uh, if somebody tried to eat... 1500 calories of, of soda and exist on that, it would be impossible because their, uh, their appetite would drive them to eat more. You just couldn't do it. Exactly. Whether it's your blood sugar swings that are out of control, the lack of nutrients that drives your body to crave those nutrients or, or whatever it is, or just foods are more filling, they're more nutritious. You're eating them with, in a more social context rather than in front of the, the computer or in the car or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, the ultimate question is how do you hack your appetite to the point that you do naturally eat less? And I think a lot of people, when they transition to that low-carbohydrate approach, they, they remove the refined carbohydrates and their blood sugars are more stable and they're able to decrease their insulin a bit and, and they are naturally more satiated, so they magically lose weight. But I think those people that say, well, I can eat 5,000 calories a day forever, 
I mean, maybe that works for some people who are healthy. They increase their non-exercise activity thermogenesis. They move more. They fidget more. They bounce around more. And then my son, when he has a lot of food, he's like fidgeting and jumping around and you can't keep him still until he burns off that excess energy. But I think if, you, um, if you're starting to become insulin resistant or, uh, or, or if you keep on pounding the excess energy because it's yummy or you believe it, 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 it's healthy or you're chasing optimal ketones of 3.0, then uh, all of a sudden you're eating five or 6,000 calories and your body can't continue to burn off that excess energy and you're going to hit your fat threshold. You're going to become insulin resistant. Your mitochondria are going to go, I can't do this anymore. And you're probably going to pack on the pounds. But if you go the other way, yeah, you might, people say, well, my, metabolism will slow down and yeah it does but that's not necessarily a bad thing because we want energy efficient cars we don't want to drive the big smoke blowing fume producing uh environmentally polluting cars these days but somehow we we think yeah i I, want to be able to eat as much as i can and that's my goal and it's like well how is that a a solution for longevity and, and, and health. It's really how can I make my body more efficient? And in time, you might actually need less energy because once you burn fat more efficiently, it seems that rather than being a metabolic advantage, it seems a lot of people are finding that um, there's sort of a metabolic disadvantage in that you become even more efficient and that you need even less calories when you've got a low-carb, high-fat diet and you're sat- satisfied, you're satiated with even less calories than you would have been before to mm, maintain weight. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's interesting, right? And that's why, again, this can be so confusing for so many people. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, uh, so the new question then becomes, you know, what's the best diet or yeah. uh, how can we eat in such a way that we feel satisfied with less food and and uh, we're really nourishing our bodies well. And I guess that's where mm. nutrient density comes in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Peter Atia, who you're probably aware of, talks about he tries to keep his blood sugars low and, and stable with a fairly low standard deviation. Where's a Dexcom? I don't think everybody needs to go to that level. But if you've got diabetes, you're probably tracking your blood sugars and you've got a feel for how your blood sugars perform with different foods. But I think that's probably really good advice is choose the foods that will keep your blood sugars down and fairly stable. But to really reduce your blood sugars, I think you need to get within that personal fat threshold. You need to reduce your body fat to a point where the fat is flowing out and you're at more of an optimal body fat level and waist to height ratio. But but back to the question of what is it that helps you be more satiated with with nutrition and uh, that's where i've tried to quantify things to say okay a lot of the time it's quite easy to get plenty of protein as much as people argue about protein if you're eating a nutrient dense diet that has vitamin d and choline and and magnesium and potassium and calcium then you're going to be getting plenty of plenty of protein um and that's where focusing on those harder to find nutrients is 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 the focus and that's the, the impetus of the the nutrient optimizer that I've designed to take your current diet, analyze it and say what what nutrients, what micronutrients aren't you getting enough of and therefore what foods will actually fill those micronutrient gaps to to boost your nutrition overall. And, and in the end, that ends up being a fairly balanced 
diet from a macronutrient point of view and then you can refine it from there by reducing the insulin load a little bit if you're still struggling with your blood sugars or even your energy density. If you want to eat less, you can reduce your energy density so it's harder to get more food in or you can increase your energy density if you're running a marathon or, or a triathlete or something and you need to get more food in. Most of us probably are on the other end of the scale but there's definitely other people who are athletes who need to get more energy dense food in. So all those things are quantifiable and yeah, and systematizable, which is a fascinating rabbit hole. Yeah. So if we're focusing on nutrient density, that's going to be a lot of uh, fibrous vegetables. Obviously it's going to be mm. um, spices and then, you know, some yep. good quality animal proteins like yeah. seafood, fish and, and different types of meat. Definitely. Uh, so it sounds to me like that's probably not a high fat diet. Um, would, is that what you think is a high fat diet would be, would be more energy dense, I guess. Yeah, correct. Correct. So, um, refined fats in and of themselves, um, don't have a lot of vitamins and minerals. We can get our essential fatty acids with only quite a, uh, in terms of grams of calories, only quite a small energy intake. So, um, I mean, I, but at the same time, I'm not saying everybody should strive for a 10% fat diet because that's a, not necessarily filling you know, you won't be able to get energy and you've gone too far in that direction. So you just need to find that balance point, but continually pushing for high fat and high ketones and the belief that that will lead to weight loss for everyone doesn't seem to work overall from what I've seen. And uh, nuts and seeds, you would say are probably, even though they do have nutrients and yep. fiber are yep. probably still more energy dense than nutrient dense. Or are they kind of somewhere in the middle? Yeah, um, from a, if, if your goal is weight loss, then probably minimizing the dairy and the, the nuts and seeds is probably a good idea and focusing, like you said, on the, the less fattier meats and the veggies. And at that point, you just get really full really quickly, you get all the nutrients you need. Um, and it's really hard to overeat those foods. You don't sit in the corner and binge on spinach, kale and, and liver. So, right. you know. Not that you all need to be to that extreme, but you can see that you know it's much easier to to binge on the peanut butter or the cream or the or the uh, McDonald's or, or whatever it is. So the, ultimately, the fat and the carbs with very low protein together, it seems to be the the ultimate obesogenic um, solution there. Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, fruit again because of the high amount of sugar and fructose, I would imagine is probably more, even though again, you've got phytonutrients and some yeah. vitamins and so forth, it's probably still more energy dense than nutrient dense. For sure. For sure. For my wife who's type one diabetic, she doesn't, when she goes into a low, she might go, oh, I finally get to eat a banana or a mandarin or something and enjoy the fruit that she sort of craves a little bit. But um, yeah, most of the time that'll shoot her blood sugars all over the place. And if, like you say, if you're trying to lose weight, that may not be the ultimate solution. But at the same time, there's a lot of people out there who, um, there's a whole plant-based, vegan, whole foods, diabetes area that seem, they seem to do fairly well. But I think that's just because if you're eating fruit and vegetables, it's really hard to overeat. You just can't get enough calories in. So if you just narrow it down to only those foods, then you're going to be in a calorie deficit, which is going to reverse your diabetes. So. Right, right. And, and eating very, very low fat typically. So they've, they're yeah. still going to end up burning uh, some fat, even yeah. though their insulin levels may end up a little bit higher. Um, sure. they also, and the blood sugar, blood sugar is a bit shot. So if you look at yes. their blood 
Portuguese and HbA1c compared to the people from type 1 grip who follow a Bernstein higher protein, moderate fat, low carb type approach, their blood sugars and HbA1c's are, you know, there's no competition. It's just night and day. Yeah. And they're usually injecting more insulin as well, the mm. type 1s, uh, even mm. though they're they're injecting a lot less insulin per gram of carbohydrates. So they mm. oftentimes describe their insulin sensitivity is very good, but <laughs> it's like yeah. it's all relative. They're still injecting usually a lot more insulin. Yeah, totally, totally. The, um, I I did a post where I looked at the maths of what they're doing there. I'm not fully on board with, uh, you know, the way they say, look, I'm more because I can eat 200 grams of carbs and I don't need as much insulin, I'm more insulin sensitive. But at the same time, like you said, the HbA1Cs are through the roof and their the blood sugars are like this. And I, I can't imagine that's a great way to live as a type 1. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be difficult. Very interesting. So um, you've got some great tools on your website. Uh, mm. And I'd love for you to talk about some of them. I, I'll, I'll mention a few and then maybe you can elaborate yeah. on them. But uh, you Thank talked you. about nutrient density, which uh, yep. I think is, is something people want to look at. Uh, I think this whole idea of, of insulin response is really important. Mm-hmm. And you've, uh, you've sort of, uh, in a roundabout way, solved this problem of, of you know, having a limited uh, menu of foods to, to understand the insulin mm-hmm. response of from the research because you created a a formula that kind of estimates mm. insulin response. So maybe mm. talk just a few minutes about that. And, and then um, uh, you've got some other great tools on there too that I'd, I'd love for you to mention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a blog optimizing nutrition, which is just, you know, thinking out loud and I started sharing about the insulin index and people enjoyed it and I made a lot of friends and I continued to just go down the rabbit hole. So that it, a lot of that is quite, um, detailed and intense and probably aimed at people like yourself and people who are really enthous- uh, enthusiastic enthusiasts to, to learn it's, more it's, about you know, it. For somebody like me, it's very exciting. You know, so <laughs> your posts, you put a lot of, uh, really a lot of time and effort into your posts. I mean, they're really I'm, 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 fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, for thank you for people uh, in the States like me, it's optimizing with an S. So it's optimizing yeah. uh, nutrition.com. Um, yep. So yeah, so, sure so from that, that <laughs> t- taking um, taking the insulin load and nutrient density, I put those together and create a bunch of food lists so people can download an A4 sheet and stick it to the fridge and take it shopping and say, well, what do I eat? Um, and then I took the same sort of approach to meals so you can rank your meals based on your goals, whether it be weight loss or in, uh, managing your diabetes and um, and then I suppose then there's other factors of your gut and how good your gut is and your autoimmune and, and I'm allergic to this, that and the other. So then there's a whole bunch of lists for that and testosterone and hyperthyroid and high cholesterol. And you can, by looking at the nutrients that you need to target or need to avoid or the foods you need to avoid, you can create all these lists and it basically got out of control and I went, oh, maybe there's a way to automate this. And I had a vision, had an idea and, and then a friend um, Alex Zotov um, from Atlanta got involved and upset six months ago and just just now we're starting to get that online to the point where you can log your food, you can upload your food log, you can say these are my goals, I've got um, insulin resistance or I've, I've got diabetes or my blood sugar is stable, now I want to lose weight and it'll tell you what foods you need to eat more of that you're currently eating more uh, eating and you, what foods you need to eat less of and here's a bunch of foods and recipes that you should try 
And uh, I just think that's the ultimate tool that will uh, conquer nutrition because I think, I suppose I designed it to be the, the ultimate solution because, you know, as we said, there's so much disagreement, whether it's carnivore or, or vegan or whatever. I think it comes down to are you getting the nutrients you need without too much energy. So um, that's the Nutrient Optimizer, which is nutrientoptimizer.com. So you can go there and just get basically a macro guidance. So for people who are fairly healthy, those macro ranges can be quite large. But for people who might be looking for um, therapeutic ketosis, that starts to get quite tight with lower protein and, and really low carbohydrates and diabetes is moderate protein and, and lower carbohydrates. So that'll start you on the road with your macronutrients and then there's a, there's a full report that you can pay for where you can upload all your chronometer data from your food log and it'll give you that feedback and, and in about a month we're coming up with a dashboard where you can continue to track yourself through it so it'll be a basically a dietitian or a diabetologist in a box that'll give you that guidance and a systematized approach that'll say, well, my blood sugar said this, how do I tweak things? Or I'm, I'm gaining weight, how do I tweak it? Or I'm not losing enough weight or I'm losing too much weight. How do I tweak my energy intake and what meals do I need to eat to actually get to that? So, um, yeah, I'm totally thrilled to, to talk to you about that and to be able to get the word out about that. And, um, and it's, it's still just getting off the ground. But uh, as we, as the ball starts rolling, hopefully more and more people catch on with a lot, you know, conquer the Yeah, I, I highly recommend it because a lot of people are frustrated and, and they need a little bit more guidance on, uh, you know, exactly mm. what foods to focus on and, and which ones to mm. maybe move away from uh, for a while. Definitely. And I like, I mean, every, the logic behind what you're doing is, <laughs> I think, seamless. It makes total sense. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we just put it out there and say these are the rules, these are the fundamental principles, nutrition, we want nutrients without too much energy, Um, we want to control our blood sugars. Does everybody agree with that? It's like, yep, nobody disagrees with that really. And, and, well, here's the system to actually achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yep, very good. Uh, so, uh, Marty, I definitely encourage people to go check out your websites, optimizingnutrition.com and nutrientoptimizer.com for sure. Um, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, there's a few questions I love to ask all my guests. And uh, the first one I'll ask you in regards to the work that we're talking about today, you know, this, this passion project that you're doing. And um, mm. if you had a statement or a quote or a concept that could kind of summarize your, you know, your legacy in this area, something that summarized the work and represented your work. What, what would you say? Yeah. Um, I think in, in 30 or 50 years time, I'd love to look back and see that all those ideas that I've put into the nutrient optimizer, when at the moment there's so much confusion about nutrition that, that that brings a lot of clarity and success for people and that a lot of people have been really helped and, that's what really drives me to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and chat to people like yourself in the States and, uh, and, and continue to write those articles and, and try to get it straight in my head and to try and explain it to other people. So yeah, I really hope that in the fullness of time that this will be a really valuable tool to solve a lot of the confusion that obviously people need personally and economically because diabetes is bankrupting the Western economy basically. So yeah. Very, very true. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if you had a friend or a family member, um, and, and you do have a very close family member, type one <laughs> if, you, if you had someone who was newly diagnosed with, with type 2 diabetes and yep. you know, they came to you and asked you for some advice, and in, in just a couple of minutes, what would you tell them to do? Um, I suppose it's eliminate or reduce processed food and try to fill your diet with real whole food and uh, probably track your blood sugars and titrate down your carbohydrates to the point that you get stable blood sugars and you feel good, but don't avoid whole protein, don't avoid whole foods, don't go, oh, this lettuce has got two carbohydrates in it, so I'm going to flip out, I can't eat that. Um, do you think people with type 2 diabetes who are clearly insulin resistant uh, need to try to cut down on foods that have a high insulin response? Uh, do you think you know part of uh, improving insulin sensitivity and, and burning that fat is, is mm. keeping our blood insulin levels down low or lower? Um, yeah, I suppose it's, it's, again, it's the short-term insulin response versus the long-term insulin response. And um, carbo- just cutting back on the processed carbohydrates is generally what will help you to, to stabilize your blood sugars. Um, I think where I think the insulin index and the thinking about insulin can go wrong is that we end up also avoiding protein, which I think is probably only relevant if you're an, uh, managing epilepsy or dementia or those sort of things that need a therapeutic ketogenic diet uh, for people who are just have type 2 diabetes. Arguably, they may need more protein because the protein is, is you know, the, the, they've got excess gluconeogenesis and the protein is being converted to sugar rather than being built into their muscles because of reduced insulin sensitivity. So arguably they actually need more protein and that'll also help with satiety and nutrient density. And, you know, if, if there's one thing that correlates with nutrient density, it's, it's protein. And if you try to avoid protein, you end up avoiding all the vitamins and minerals and essential fatty acids that are also important. So I don't really care about high protein, but I know if you avoid protein, then um, your nutrient density is going to fall through the floor. Wow. That's great advice. Mm. My last question for you today is if you uh, found yourself in a room (laughs) sitting around a table with 20 world leaders, you know, the presidents and prime ministers of of uh, the most industrialized developed countries in the world. And uh, they brought you in because they are trying to solve the diabetes epidemic, the world diabetes epidemic. And they asked you uh, what they should do. What advice would you give them? Um, I think to take away the commercial conflicts of interest, because I think that really dominates our current food environment, cost and advertising and things that will continue to, drive appetite um fake flavors fake colors and like anything that's got those things in them you need to get rid of that so i think to you need to find a way to remove that and i suppose the the way to do that is to look at agreeing on the fundamental principles in nutrition which i think end up being does it contain the nutrients you need without excess calories and you know given the diabetes epidemic is exploding does it manage your blood sugars? And then if you wanted to extend on that, you've got, you know, uh, calorie focusing on, on, on the total calories in your diet to titrate that down and other 
autoimmune sensitivities and gut issues. So I think to look at those as fundamental principles and agree on those principles and say how can we apply that in our community and, and educate people. And I agree that all those things get complex when you try to think of them as individual moving parts, but I think to continue to develop systems and systematise nutrition based on those fundamental principles that everybody can agree on um, would be an exciting step forward for, for the international population. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, Marty Kendall, thank you so much for spending time and for being part of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast, for getting up early here for me today. Also. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity. Cheers, mate. I see, uh, I see the sun rising in the background there as we talked about what might happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, again, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks all, thank, uh, all of you for being part of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. I'll be back next week with another expert interview. All right. What a great interview with Marty Kendall. Hey, if you guys like this episode, please make sure you share it with your friends and family. Send them over to iTunes to subscribe, or they can go to the direct link, which is drmole.com slash zero four. And you can head over there to get the full show notes, links and resources, and grab the transcript there as well. Remember guys, let me know what you think. Leave your review on iTunes, share this podcast on Facebook and Instagram. This is Dr. Brian Mole, the diabetes coach. I appreciate you as always. Remember to keep climbing and to never give up.